Hi, everyone, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and beauty director, Alexandra Engler. Today, we are going to be spending some time talking about in office treatments from filler and lasers to new technology and tools. Now, we've talked a little bit about this subject here on the pod, and I think I've said my point of view is do whatever works best for you. If it's something you want to explore, by all means, if it is not in your worldview or not accessible for you, you shouldn't feel any beauty FOMO. Personally, I haven't done any Botox or filler yet. I have tried PRP once, and I am currently looking in to get a gentle resurfacing laser to address some fine lines and hyperpigmentation. I am pretty upfront about what I do with my skin and how I care for it, so the second I get anything else done, uh, y'all will be the first to know. And obviously, here we encourage taking a more natural, holistic approach to your skin, you know, focusing on well-being, food, sleep, mental health, and so on. But I also know a lot of people who do all of those things I just mentioned still want to know about their options when they visit a derm or med spa. So that's why I am talking to board-certified dermatologist, Dr. Ava Shamban. She is the founder of the Med Spa Skin 5, and she specializes in natural-looking cosmetic dermatology. Not to mention, she has a strong appreciation for addressing lifestyle components as well. So while, yes, she might recommend Botox for a patient, she'll also tell them they should be mindful of their nutrition and stress levels. She will also never let a patient go overboard, touting aesthetic responsibility. So I think she is the perfect person to have on to have a discussion about this sort of stuff. Without further ado, Ava, welcome. Thank you, Alex. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so excited to chat with you today. I know that we use you all the time as a source at Green, and I just love your advice. And I love seeing all that you do to inform the general population about, you know, how they can take care of their skin. So, you know, I, I am so excited to hear more from you today. But before we, you know, get into all of your best advice, I would love the audience to just to get to know you a little bit better. What is your journey into skincare and medicine? Sure. Yeah, I think it's a great idea because I think at this point in my career, I'm also serving as a mentor for so many young women yeah. who are going into STEM. And, and so I am going to talk about a little bit. I am going to talk about my journey. So my journey, my journey begins in, in fact, really grade school because I always was interested in health. And I was always reading everything having to do with nursing and everything having to do with whatever I could find in the local library, anything having to do with yeah. medicine. So for me, it was really a calling. And as I grew a little bit older, my mother's like, you know, you're kind of bossy. You sure you want to be a nurse? How about being a doctor? So it was really my mother's influence in encouraging me to go for being a physician. And even though I did many other things in high school, for example, I acted, I was very interested in literature. I always came back to medicine. I always did. I was always the one in science class. I don't know if you did this in bio class where you had to have your finger pricked to find out your blood type. <laughs> and so 
I was the no, designated. No, I never did that. I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, and so I I was the designated person <laughs> to do that for my whole class. I don't know. I was like, I don't know, 15, <laughs> something like that. It was kind of crazy. Very impressive. Yeah, and then when I went to medical school, well, actually in college, I was very interested in the sciences. And although I was a psychology major, it was more of like a, a kind of a neuropsych major. And I worked in a lab and looked at depression. And, and it was really the very beginning of medication for depression. And then I kind of left that behind when I went to medical school. I was, in fact, a general practitioner first before I became a dermatologist. And when I was ready to go back to train to finish my residency in internal medicine, my roommate from medical school said to me, told me how much she loved dermatology because it was a nice combination of medicine and surgery. There's a little bit of surgery to it. And so she said, oh, Ava, I think you would like that because I had kind of more of a surgical personality, <laughs> which is like, I like to get things done. And so I went into dermatology. I did a year foundation fellowship where I studied inherited diseases of skin that involved the molecule elastin. And we know how important elastin is to the elasticity of the skin. And also did some work in collagen. Yeah, of course. Which served me well because when I finished my residency, I was right there really at the beginning of cosmetic dermatology. And so that was when the lasers started to come out. At the time, the only filler we had was collagen. And then about five years after my training, that's when we started to get the hyaluronic acid fillers. And so the combination of using fillers and lasers and tissue tightening devices and as all the as all the devices came onto the market, I mean, there was no laser hair removal when I first started. <laughs> there was very little of the tissue tightening. It was mostly for red birthmarks or for brown birthmarks. And to be part of the evolution of the field was has just been so exciting. Yeah, I mean, just follow up to that. Clearly, you know, you have seen the field of dermatology change and grow and evolve. And like, what has that journey been like to to be a part of the way that dermatology has been shaped? You know, what what has that experience been like for you? Well, it's been infinitely interesting, I would say, because yeah. the technology, so much of advancements in science ride on the back of advancements in technology. So the fact that the devices, so when I, when I refer to devices, I'm talking about lasers, I'm talking about microneedling, I'm talking about radio frequency devices, even the newest devices for muscle tightening, for the cool sculpting, for removal of fat by free, the cryolipolysis for freezing fat. All of these things evolved during this time that I finished my residency. You know, they, I mean, when I finished my residency, there were three machine, three lasers. <laughs> we had a resurfacing laser, CO2. We had one, as I said, for red birthmarks, one for brown. So it's been incredibly exciting to be part of this evolution. And I've done clinical research along the way and still do a fair, a, lar a large amount of clinical research to get FDA approval of these devices. That includes also I mean, I completely left out the the development of Botox for the treatment of dynamic lines and wrinkles. So that it's just been, yeah. I, can't, I cannot imagine a more gratifying career. So, you know, you mentioned how from an early age, there was something about the field of medicine that you felt called to. But, you know, I'm curious, 
because you're a dermatologist and, you know, you have done so much work in cosmetic dermatology. Was there anything about beauty that like drew you into the beauty industry or did that come later? You know, I'm just curious about how beauty and and the field of beauty came into the fold. That's really interesting because I think that aesthetics in general, I definitely had an appreciation yeah. for aesthetic. Not not that I mean I went to a school we wore uniforms. We didn't wear any makeup. <laughs> you know, it wasn't yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. And then when I went to college, I was in college in Boston. And believe me, in the 70s, nobody wore makeup. <laughs> that was not what we did then. So from that perspective, it wasn't like a makeup thing. But I did really enjoy going to the museums and looking at art. Also, just appreciating beauty in all of its forms, whether it's in nature or whether it's in, in people whether it's just statuary I was never a sculptor but it's it, but I was thinking about it because I thought I do definitely I have definitely developed my artistic perspective and philosophy which we'll be heading into but I think that it really I it, it does run in my family because my sister is quite a good artist and one of my children is quite a good artist and so I thought oh I'm not artistic at all but then I look at what I do and I'm like, oh, I guess kind of am. And I also really work when I'm working art really aesthetically and artistically, even though I'm using my background in science and understanding anatomy and physiology of the skin, I'm also really working off the right side of my brain, the non-dominant side of my brain, which just sort of uses a gestalt, you know, an overall look of how the face is and how it should look. <laughs> it's, you know, it's so fascinating. Um, one through line that I hear from some of the best dermatologists out there, obviously yourself included, is is this appreciation for art and in that way and having an eye for for beauty in in that general, almost like philosophical sense, which leads me into my next question is what is your beauty philosophy? Well, my beauty philosophy, it's some it's very interesting, actually, because when I first started lecturing. I really, the lectures were, were often on what is beauty. I had a what is beauty talk and looking at different expressions of beauty throughout, it, through many different cultures, because we know that different cultures use scarification or they might have big necklaces around their neck or they might wear certain types of jewelry or have certain tattoos in different locations. And so... It was fair. It's really been fascinating to me, but I also grew to learn or, you know, through, and this is just looking at the research that across many different cultures, people appreciated the same harmony in the face. And then I thought, started thinking about what was different amongst faces. And in fact, I was giving a lecture with like, to like a thousand people, it was a big allergen meeting in a pan-Pacific meeting, and they asked me to talk about what was going on in Hollywood. And this is about 10 years ago. And I thought to myself, oh my God, there's so much bad work that's already happening in Hollywood where people are ruining their faces. And so I realized as I gave the talk, I thought, well, well, actors, actresses and actors, they often have what I call signature feature. They have a point of beauty and uniqueness about them. And so if they ruin their signature feature, then their career is compromised, if not over. And so you can take, there's so many different examples of it being done badly, but I'll talk about the way it's done well. 
So one great example is Mick Jagger. So Mick Jagger, I mean, that's a skinny white guy. You know, how did this skinny white guy become like such a big sex symbol? And it was really just on the basis of his lips. And so he took that signature feature of his lips. And if you, you know, have ever seen any of the t-shirts and his, when he's on tour, everything is about those lips because they're the sexiest thing ever. And so as I developed this concept of signature feature, it really led me into a lot of the psychological, because we know that if we look good, we feel better. And in fact, that's backed up by, by a, a principle in psychology, which is called the facial feedback hypothesis. So when you look at yourself and you look good, you feel better. In our last episode with Dr. Chloe Carmichael, we talked a lot about how beauty and mental health are connected. She even mentioned this facial feedback hypothesis. And while we talked about it broadly in the episode, we didn't get too much into the research. I thought now would be a good time to explain exactly what is out there. So to start, the hypothesis notes that the way your face looks directly affects your emotions and mood. At this point, there has been a few studies that have looked into it, so much so that there's even a 2019 meta-analysis, which confirmed that the facial feedback hypothesis was true and statistically significant. But it wasn't necessarily a large influence on the mood. Basically, facial expressions have a wide impact on the mood, just not a deep one. It's just, that's how it is. Along with nonverbal communication, which is most of our communication. I mean, this is an unusual podcast without having a video. And so based on that, I really have developed this whole concept of signature feature and how the goal of all of our work is to highlight and showcase that individual beauty in a face and not to do something crazy and make people look like they're going into the witness protection program. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I I have so many topics that I could dive in on the concept of signature feature. So, I mean, I guess I should just ask to start. I mean, I won't get into all of them, but I do have to ask, how do you identify the signature feature? Is it something that you inherently can feel in and of yourself? I mean, how do you talk to people about this? Oh, it's really interesting. So when I give the talk, I always have people turn to the person sitting next to them and have them tell them what their signature feature is. So there's so much, I mean, with the nonverbal communication, you know, which was developed to protect us, there's so much that's, that's subcortical. It's nothing you think about. So it's a, it's a blink moment, like Malcolm Gladwell talks mm. about. So you turn to the person, sure. just close your eyes, turn to the mirror and like, and be honest with yourself. Like, this is the most beautiful thing about me. It's usually eyes or mouth. Because if you look across people, no one's eyes are the same as another person, whether it's color, it's shape, whether it's the framing around the eyes. And the same thing with the lips. Shapes are all individual, unless they've been horribly distorted by bad work. But, you know, but it can be, I mean, Barbara Streisand, it was her nose there. Who else is there? There's there's lots of other examples. Farrah Fawcett, her hair. Other people, it's something on their body. It can be a woman's, you know, breasts. (laughs) We know those examples. It can be, you know, there's tons of different, tons of different signature features that people can use or can have. But it's a subclinical, it's a subcortical, it's a blink, it's an instant. It's like. And then when you, when you have that signature feature and, you know, you talk about how, how it's so important to highlight it and, you know, so. 
how does one go about emphasizing that signature feature? Are there, are there, is there advice that you give to people? Yes. So if you, there's also a principle and it's present in architecture to music to so many different things, what's called background noise and signal to noise ratio. So you want to increase signal while reducing background noise. And in dermatology, background noise are lines, wrinkles, brown spots, skin textural changes, things like rosacea, as well as contour abnormalities. So the face should have like a three should have a three dimensional appearance to it, where a curve is to be curvy. Your cheekbone should be a little bit higher than your jawline, and you know there's so many different curves in the face. And so if you correct all of that, because that's distracting to the eye, that's background noise. Then the signal, which are eyes and mouth, then they can they are seen much more clearly. Fascinating. The way that you describe this has, I've actually never thought about it necessarily this way, but everything you says, everything you say makes so much sense just instinctively. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to have to take some time and, you know, figure out how I can highlight my signature feature. I mean, yeah. and, and, and makeup artists have understood that for a long time. That's why, you know, you put makeup on to take away any surface discolorations and then they, they'll use contour to highlight cheekbones or jawline, you know, they'll use the contour very carefully, both dark and light to highlight things. So yeah, the makeup artists know how to do it. So we're just trying to imitate that. We're just trying to, <laughs> all the work I do is sure. put a filter on people's faces. Yeah. So, you know, this is obviously a beauty podcast, but it's a beauty podcast that often looks at beauty through the lens of well-being and health. And so, you know, I always like to ask people, in addition to their beauty philosophy, is what is your wellness philosophy? Well, I think beauty definitely, as you know, is part of wellness for yeah. sure. Yeah. And absolutely. So it is not a frivolous or vain venture. Not at all. It is absolutely part of wellness. So for me, wellness, I mean, it has pillars. And so, you know, they're all the standard stuff, you know, exercise, nutrition, sleep, meditation, you know, something spiritual and some way to connect yourself to your community. There's so many different things to do for your community now. And, and taking care of your, the health of your skin. That's my philosophy. Do it all. I think that that is a very healthy wellness philosophy to have. But the next section that I wanted to get into is your skincare advice. I know you have so much of it. So I can't wait to, you know, dive into a few of the different areas. The first thing I want to ask you is what is prejuvenation? What is this concept? Can you explain it to me? No, absolutely. Prejuvenation is, is fascinating. I think it's really been spearheaded by the millennials, which to, the, to that generation's credit is a great idea because it turns out it's kind of, it's along the same principles as doing any kind of preventive care for any other part of your body. You know, whether you're getting, whether you're looking at making sure you have your mammogram or your pap smear or your teeth cleaned or your um, haircut, you know, or brushing your hair is the same, it's the same idea. 
except a little bit more in depth. So prejuvenation is doing small things all along the way, which will absolutely change the way you age. And the reason that we know that it changes the way you age is from studies. You can see in people who've had twins, Botox, twin Botox studies, one twin has the Botox, the other twin doesn't, that the, not only are there less lines and wrinkles, but the quality of the skin looks better. And that has to do with some as yet undescribed positive effect of the Botox. Also doing laser, like low energy laser, does change the genetic expression of your cells to be more youthful. So exercise helps improve Exercise improves mitochondrial function in the skin and also helps keep the skin young. There is an old, dated, and frankly sexist idiom that used to go something along the lines as that as you age, you need to choose between your face or your body. Basically, it's just as you get older, you can either be fit or youthful looking, but apparently not both. Now, we know that is not the case, and tons of research has shown that moving your body regularly improves skin function at the cellular level, including the mitochondria, like she said. In fact, one study found that study volunteers carrying out interval training showed a 49% increase in mitochondrial capacity. Even more impressively, the older group of participants saw a 69% increase. So there's all kinds of ways to approach prejuvenation and we do it all the time in the office. And it's just, it's basically maintenance, low energy treatment, low, very small doses of toxin and filler. And just to keep, I like to say, just to keep the party going. I, I quite like that phrase. So you just mentioned Botox and filler and Botox and filler is something that we dabble in on this podcast. You know, we talk about it here and there. I I always say I don't have any black and white opinions on Botox and filler. If you are somebody who wants it, great. If you are somebody who doesn't want it, fine. It makes no difference to me. I personally have not gotten it yet, but I also leave space for the fact that in 10 years, maybe I'll want it. And, you know, both choices are perfectly fine. But yeah, but what I bring this up to you is because, you know, obviously you are somebody who 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 does this in your practice, but you do it so so naturally. And I think that is when people ask me about it as a beauty expert, you know, I say just find somebody you trust and find somebody who will who will do a job that looks natural and find somebody who will be able to give you honest feedback and, you know, keep you within that natural realm and kind of not let you go off into into the territory where we all know that perhaps the work isn't good. So how do you find that balance? I mean, how do you what what's your approach to this? How do you work with people? It's a very interesting question, and it has to do, it begins with how the face ages as well, because we know we lose volume. We know there's bony loss. We know that when you lose some of the foundation and the skin is going to hang more on the face. And so it, ha and, but everybody ages individually and you can kind of predict based on bone structure and family history, like what a person is going to look like. So. So that's one, that's one thing to keep in mind. And the other thing to keep in mind is that if you see a line, you're like, oh, it's not so bad. The problem is, is that if you don't do anything about it, then it, it's, it's not going to get better on its own. 
yeah. putting it works. And so the intervention in an earlier phase is, is better. The other, in terms of keeping a natural look, it's features are designed to be enhanced, but not exaggerated. And so I think mm. that that's really important, whether you're looking at enhancing a cheekbone, a jawline, a lip, you just, you do not want to go nuts at all. You just want it to look natural. And so I think that that is really, is really the way to, to look at it, to have, to see someone who's competent, who can talk to you about the aging of your face and figure out what treatments, what treatment plan should be designed to, to really take care of it. I mean, so this is based on this, let me kind of exactly what I'm describing to you. I created a two offices called Skin 5. And the idea behind yep. those offices are to provide minimally invasive treatments to change the way you age so that you look great, but like yourself, you know, going forward in the best possible way. So on that same note, you know, you never want to exaggerate, right? But we all know that there are examples of people. And as a practitioner, how how do you talk to people and help them avoid that? You know, are there people who come in and they say, you know, my lips aren't big enough or or the I want more filler in in my cheekbones? You know, how do you how do you help people with achieving the balance within themselves if they if they keep on wanting bigger or more? Well, I think this is a this is an issue that plastic surgeons have faced for years. Sure. So people who have really unrealistic expectations of there's always a story. There's always a story. Mm -hmm. And shockingly, oftentimes the story is that their mother or an aunt or a grandmother told them how unattractive they were. Mm -hmm. So those, you know, so it's a conversation that's asking me, what are you or what are you really trying to accomplish here? And but for some people, the what are you trying to accomplish is just like, I'm not the right doctor for you. Because I definitely have what I call aesthetic responsibility, where I'm not going to make someone look like a freak. I mean, that's yeah. why the companies I have done, really almost every product that's on the market for lip enhancement, I've been an investigator for them because, because I do good lips. I don't try, I don't go nuts with people. Yeah. Yeah. But, and so people have to be, you know, that's why it's, that's why also I came up with the, or one of the purposes of Signature Feature, which is the idea that hey, you look like you and that's great. That's fantastic. So let's keep you looking like you, just the best version of you. Okay. Let's say that I just started getting into anti-aging skincare or healthy aging skincare. I haven't. I've been interested in it for a while as a beauty editor. However, let's just say that this is the first time I'm thinking about it. What sort of steps do you advise people to start on? Like, do you do you tell them to start with a skincare plan and then they can work their way up to come in to get Botox and filler or, you know, what, basically what's a treatment plan that you put on, put people on? Well, treatment plans need to be designed for individuals so, because everybody has individual yeah. needs. Some people may have, may have melasma, you know, the brown patches on the face. Other people may have acne. Other people may have acne scarring. Other people may just have too much photo damage. It just, all those treatment plans need to be designed for that person. But usually it's a combination of some kind of laser or intense pulse light, some kind of injectable, some kind of, I love, we have a, it's called the CO2 lift carboxy mask. We use that a lot. And, and skincare, 
So the skincare yep. in and of itself, if it's used regularly, like brushing your teeth, you're going to see a result, but it takes longer. People tend to want to have faster results. But skincare, it goes hand in hand with any office treatments because the skincare enhances the result of the office treatment. So, but yeah, yeah I mean, usually, so let's say it's, we can be, we have, there's a, a um, fractionated device called Clear and Brilliant. We do a lot of that for younger mm-hmm. people. We also do some tissue tightening with the soft wave. And we also do just, just sort of overall, I call it paintbrushing, overall filler here and there, but not a lot anywhere, but just enough. It does, it does provide some stimulation to the skin to make its own collagen and just sort of spread it around. So on the skincare note, what are your mandatory steps that you tell people that they have to do um, when you are putting them on this, you know, this plan? Well, it's a little bit like a cafeteria in terms of you can use one, you know, sort of, there's sort of basics like your protein. (laughs) Yep. So that would be something, unless you can't tolerate it at all, something in the retinoid category, because that's the most effective form of skincare. And then we add on antioxidants and peptides and hyaluronic acid and, and obviously sunscreen and (laughs) alpha hydroxies and um, defensins. I mean, there's a lot of kind of very cool ingredients, antioxidants, of course, like something in the vitamin C category. So it just, you know, once again, it's, you have to, but you start with the basic, which is with the basics, which would be sunscreen and a retinoid. And then you add on, depending on what the skin needs, you know, whether it's a hyaluronic acid moisturizer or serum and a specialized eye cream, maybe you mean neck cream, but not to go crazy, not to, I'm more on the minimalist side than the, you know, 25 step side. So I want to ask you about some skincare trends that you are seeing right now. Are there any skincare trends that you agree with? Like that you were like, I love that people have started doing this. Let's do more of it. You know, is there, is there anything that's ringing a bell? Well, I want to talk about a couple of things that are terrible <laughs> because I've been interviewed about them. Ned, <laughs> we'll get to the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's something that's, I don't know, somehow you can get hyaluronic acid and shoot it into your skin with a high pressure, with a... Uh, That's with a, crazy. Yeah, with a high pressure pen. So it's not a needle, but it, you're you're using, it's a pneumatic device, essentially. It shoots the stuff in and that's a recipe for disaster. So don't do that. And I think, let's see, what there was one other thing that was just free. Oh, I know. People shooting the stuff called melanotan into their nose, which is basically... What is that? Well, it's a... It's a peptide that is normally manufactured. It's melatonin, essentially. So melatonin okay. will make, it'll, it'll turn your skin brown, but it's, you're putting it into centrally and that's dangerous. So don't do that either. Those are the two no's for sure that's been, pop, that's been circulating on the internet. Then in terms of, yes, a skincare trends I'm seeing now, I guess some uh, some of the at-home microneedling device, people are very worried about it, but I've, I've worked with this anti-odge and I really like that at-home microneedling device. And that's great if you have a lot of photo damage, especially kind of for the, the Gen X, so above the millennials, so people who are now in their 40s and 50s, like for their decolletage and their arms and depending on the type of skin, that's really good. 
And I think that the skincare keeps getting better and better in terms of what's being offered, what's for sale. And so I think that those are, that's an exciting area too. Okay. So in terms of in-office treatments, I know you offer a wide variety and you're obviously very knowledgeable in, in the best of the best. We have talked about filler and Botox, but I want to talk about a few others just because, you know, I, I haven't talked too much about this on this podcast. And since you're here, I want to help our listeners understand these various technologies in case they're curious. Let's start with a plasma pen. What is this? Very interesting. So a plasma pen uses energy in the form of plasma. So plasma is what kind of crackles through the air when there's lightning. It's very hot. Okay. So it's a it's a fairly inexpensive device and it it almost like it looks like almost a spark, but it's literally a ball of plasma. And it's used as a resurfacing device. And so it's really for older people. And it really is very tricky to use because you're the high risk, there's a high risk of scarring because it's so hot. So it can be used in younger people for acne scars, but it would not be my first choice. So we use it for tissue tightening around the eyes, the upper eyelid, lower eyelid, and also for wrinkles around the mouth. That's primarily where we use it. But it's for people who are older and have more wrinkling, more crepiness. It's not for young people. Okay. You know, you mentioned Claire and Brilliant earlier, which is actually something that I have been thinking about getting. So I would love to just talk a little bit more about Claire and Brilliant and other lasers that people can look into. You know, what is Claire and Brilliant your go-to laser or do you have like a variety that you like? A variety. So Clear and Brilliant is a representative of the technology of fractionated laser. So yeah. that means instead of the pulses covering a whole blanketing the skin, it's tiny little channels that are created in the skin. And it has the virtue of being less invasive and people heal faster because the undamaged skin around the sides will populate in those tiny little columns. The other advantage it provides is if you want to deliver some active product deeper into the skin, the laser has created these channels. So that being said, though, it's not like you just smear on anything after a freshly lasered skin, mm. but it's a great way to deliver some PRP and also sure. there are some vitamin C serums that have been safely used in this case, and also even a hyperdilute Sculptra, which is a tissue stimulator, polylactic acid. So there's lots of opportunities that can be, can be realized or can be taken advantage of by using something like this. And people have melasma, we can put on a bleaching agent. There's all kinds of, of benefits. And so I like Clear Brilliant, but I also like the Fraxel, which is like the company okay. is like a baby Fraxel. And I like, we have, we have a resurfacing Erbium YAG laser and we have a new vascular laser that could provide an IPL like result with, and you can use it. It has quick pulse. So you can do a whole chest, you can do a back. It's really nice. Okay. What should people know about coming in to get a laser? You know, are there any general oversight tips that you would give people who are thinking about getting a treatment like this? Well, they, I mean, with COVID, I mean, we started doing a lot of virtual consultations. So most offices, most aesthetic offices will offer that as an option. 
And it's a really easy way to kind of get an idea of what a treatment plan will look like for you. So I do highly recommend getting a virtual appointment. And also, even if it's something like you don't live, like let's say someone wants to have a virtual appointment with someone in my office, we can do that no matter what part of the country you live in and then, ref and then recommend a physician in your area and also recommend a treatment plan. So that's one, that's, that's kind of the first step. The other, the other step is that you want to be sure that you don't have a fever blister breakout before you come in or that if you have eczema or psoriasis or something else inflammatory that could be acting up, you want to make sure that's clear before you go in to have a laser. And also, if unless you're getting lasered specifically for your acne, your active acne, then if you have active acne, you do not want to get a laser at that time. Okay. So we've talked about, you know, filler, we've talked about Botox, we just talked about lasers. What other anti-aging treatments, in-office anti-aging treatments excite? Yes, I would say that the radiofrequency microneedling micro in combination, I think the best results are when you combine different modalities. So the radiofrequency okay. microneedling, and then you combine it with like an ultrasound device like Softwave or Althera. You can get a remarkable improvement in crepiness of the skin and in and really see some quite definitive tissue tightening. So I think that those are really great. So we've talked so much about skincare and in-office treatments, but I do know that a big part of healthy skin aging is the lifestyle component. You know, obviously somebody can come in and get Botox, but if they go sit outside in the sun all day, I mean, you know, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot there. So what are some of the major lifestyle habits that you encourage people to adopt if they are looking for these healthy aging results? Well, kind of what we talked about earlier under the wellness umbrella. So you can never, you can never discount nutrition. Nutrition is so yeah. important. You are feeding your skin. So stay away from highly processed foods. They turn into sugar. They have a lot of, of toxic chemicals in them. Look for whole grains, vegetables that you ideally, in California, we have the opportunity to buy at the farmer's market. And I think a lot of places you know, around the country now have farmer's markets. They have higher levels of nutrients in the fruits and vegetables. Stick to things that, you know, your great-grandparents ate, <laughs> not stuff yeah. that you're going to sit down of blocks, because that's where, that's where you're going to get the best nutrition. And then, of course, having like a toddler, you know, having a regular sleep schedule, having a regular yeah. work day schedule. I mean, we're designed to be on a schedule, you know, workout, sleep, food, and then being part of your, you know, I mean, having, having your cortisol levels lowered by some kind of a spiritual practice. I love that. You know, I mean, clearly you have such a well-rounded view of how to take care of yourself. And that's just, you know, so, so lovely and refreshing to hear. The last section that I always get into with my guests is how you take care of yourself. You know, we have talked a lot in this episode about what people can do and what advice you give out. But, you know, what advice do you uh, practice in your own life? Why don't we start with your wellness must-haves? What are your go-to routines that, you know, you 
that you stick with and that, you know, you that, you know, help you make you feel your best? Well, I just love a big ice cream sundae. <laughs> <laughs> That's an answer I'm looking for. <laughs> it would be nice if in, you know, some part of this universe, like, you could be. I know. So it was in Sleeper when he wakes up on the, on the gurney. And it's like, everybody's like, yes, it's 100 years ahead. And we've discovered that eating steak every day is good for you. I can't remember all the things that they say. It was so funny. Um, so, you know, I've, I practice what I preach. I mean, I go to the farmer's market. Sometimes I go to two on a weekend and just really try. And I really like deep. I mean, I really do like vegetables. I started cooking more during COVID. I like doing that. I mean, going out, there's so much oils and sugars in the food. It really can taste it unless I'm having, you know, just unless I'm at a restaurant where I'm sure they're not going to do that. And I do, I, I take all my conference calls and not because we have to do this on a computer. can't do it here, but normally I do like almost everything when I'm walking outside and I'm, I'm very athletic. So I, I ski when I can, I swim, I do yoga, I meditate. Mostly when I'm walking. <laughs> and sure. you know, I have a spiritual practice too. So that's, and then skincare, of course. What am I talking about? Skincare. So I wear a hat about all the time. And of okay. course, a high SPF sunscreen. And I do reapply when I go swimming. You can see it on my Instagram page. If Dr. Ava says, I wear like a full body, it's like a full body rash guard. I call it my ocean camo. That's what I do. And that's a wellness, okay. that's a uh, wellness must have for me. SPF? Oh yeah, SPF 50, which is so great because okay. we are you know, coral, the poor coral, they're all dying and, you know, we okay. don't want to contribute to it by having sunscreen slide off your skin. So if you want to wear a bikini, then you can change out of your ocean camo, put your bikini on and then sit on the beach or the pool or wherever. But if you're going to the sure. ocean, put one of these put one of these full body suits on. They're so cute. You can see it. You see it on my, you know. I love that. Says. That's a great tip. And then what do you do morning and night for your skincare routine? Well, I'm a very minimalist. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really am. It's so crazy. People like me, I'll be with my Durham friend, friends, colleagues, you know, who will be or whatever word, Paris and she. She takes out all of her stuff. We're sharing a room. She takes all of her stuff. She puts out like 10 things on the counter. I'm like, I put out three. <laughs> so I do Honestly, you are beauty gal after my own heart. That sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do use a retinoid every night and I put a hyaluronic acid yeah. serum on it. And then in the morning, I use a vitamin C serum and a, a sunscreen and a moisturizer. So it's pretty simple. And then sometimes I will throw in the, the growth factor. And then other time, I mean, it just depends, you know, kind of what people hand me. Then I'll try out different things because I have also have sure. the box by Dr. Ava. And so there's a couple products in there. There's a really nice vitamin C, a really nice vitamin C cream and under eye cream and serum. I use that. There's also something called a RASA, which is a peptide. And so I use that sometimes. Okay. But my standard, you know, I have the basics and then those are sort of the add-ons. Well... I know that I learned quite a bit today. And I, like I said, you know, I'm somebody who hasn't necessarily gone in and 
done in any in office work yet, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's on the horizon. So I definitely wanted to get an episode like this in to help people like me and, you know, maybe some of our listeners to, to understand what's out there and how they can, you know, find a doctor like yourself who, who aligns with uh, their point of view and you know, I, I just love your approach to all of this because, you know, obviously your work looks so natural, but you also very clearly appreciate the the lifestyle components that go into it as well. So that's, you know, very much a, a point of view that I that I support and can agree with. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. Well, thank you, Alex. And so a way to contact me is to DM me on the Instagram on the Dr. Ava Says. And then I can help people find a, a uh, qualified physician or healthcare provider near where they live. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much for sharing. And, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you again. This has been such a fantastic episode. Thank you, Alex. I've enjoyed it, too. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you liked it, don't forget to rate and review us. And before we sign out, I just want to introduce a new feature that we are introducing to the pod. You can now submit all of your lingering beauty questions. All you have to do is drop in a voicemail and I'll answer it here on the pod. Whether you have a follow-up question about a specific episode or are just curious about an ingredient, routine, or product, we want to hear from you. Head over to sayhi.com chat slash clean beauty school to submit your questions. I will put that link in the show notes so you can click on it there. Once we get a few of them, our team will select a few to answer during a special Q&A segment, and you just might be featured on this pod. Thanks again for tuning in and see you next week.